This episode of Critical Hit is being brought to you by HelloFresh.com. Visit HelloFresh.com and use the promo code CRITICALHIT30 to save $30 off your first week of deliveries. It's been a while since we've done one of these listeners. And mainly because we are so busy having fun playing Pathfinder that it seemed ridiculous to try to interrupt an episode to do a mailbag or to spend a lot of time talking at the beginning of the episode to you. But uh, we finished with with the Weird Western. Sam did a fantastic job of it, as we talked about last week. And again, if you want to follow Sam, you can reach out to her at Samantha Nelson and the number one, Samantha Nelson one, and uh, just flutter with praise over how great of a job she did with the Pathfinder game. And some people have already asked, when is it coming back? When are we going to see the adventures of these characters again? I'm not saying you're not going to hear anything from these guys in the future. But I also know we have a bunch of different games that we want to play in the future. And we have talked about this before. Uh, if you are a, a VIP or a Patreon member at patreon.com slash major spoilers, more about that in just a little bit. You know that we've uh, done some talking about other games we would want to play or other systems that we have out there. And over the next couple of weeks, we will be sitting down and we will finalize what the next three games are going to be. Right. We've got Rodrigo's Void Saga that is coming up. That's D&D 4th edition. We've talked about systems like Dresden Files and Star Wars RPG and Starfinder, the new uh, Pathfinder in space from Paizo Entertainment. We've talked um, more Call of Cthulhu stuff. We've got a bunch of stuff. And right now we are just making lists. We're we're looking at who has the time to build the game and all of that other cool stuff. So that is coming down down the line. And of course, if you're a VIP or patron member, we will let you know well ahead of time. Uh, in fact, if you're a VIP or Patreon member, uh, I would head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers. But because before next week, when we launch the Urban Shadows campaign, I will be showing you the um, the show art for that story arc. That's all over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. But it's good to be back and it's good to uh, dive into the mailbag and get caught up on a bunch of emails people have sent us. Because uh, there's a lot of it. And again, we're not, uh, I think in the future, I'm going to try to get uh, more mailbag segments for you because I know a lot of people enjoy the mailbag segment. Uh, you find a lot of valuable information in there. And uh, some people find some inspiration in those mailbag discussions and just enjoy listening to us uh, let our hair down for those of us that still have hair, I suppose. That uh, <laughs> allows us to let our hair down and just really talk with one another for about an hour or so as we look at. Uh, what you have sent us. So if you have any questions, you can send them to podcast at majorspoilers.com. I will add them into the mailbag and very soon we will answer them for you. It's that time of year again, time when I'm super busy rushing the kids to soccer practice and setting up for critical hit episodes and editing podcasts and updating websites. And sometimes it just feels like there's no time to cook a good, delicious meal for the entire family. Guess what? That's totally wrong. Anyone can cook a delicious meal and feel like a pro doing it with HelloFresh. HelloFresh makes cooking fun. It makes cooking fast. And best of all, because they ship all of the ingredients directly to you, you don't have to worry about not having coriander or not having a specific ingredient that a recipe calls for. HelloFresh makes you feel like you are a pro in the kitchen. They give you all the ingredients, all the instructions. 
you don't have to sit there and go, oh man, I don't know how to cook. All I know how to do is warm up this can of, of spaghetti. No, HelloFresh is much better than that. HelloFresh is the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking more fun so you can focus on the whole experience and not just the final plate. I've used HelloFresh before and I've got to tell you, getting that box at your front door, you open it up, it's all ready to go in the refrigerator and it has things divided up to say, hey, this goes with this meal, this goes with this meal. And then as you're cooking, it says, open up this packet or use this packet and it's all pre-measured. The step-by-step instructions allow you or you or really you to make a gourmet meal in about 30 minutes. And it doesn't matter if you're a novice or a seasoned home cook. It takes about 30 minutes and you have a meal for everyone. HelloFresh sources the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantities needed so there's no food waste. And I really appreciate that. If you've ever wondered how much uh, a little zest of something is or how much a little sprinkle of something is, you don't have to worry about that anymore because HelloFresh has got you covered. HelloFresh also employs two full-time registered dietitians who review each recipe and ensure it is nutritionally balanced just for you. They deliver the food to your doorstep in a recyclable insulated box for free. And best of all, HelloFresh is less than $10 a meal. Think about that. Last time I went to a fast food restaurant and bought food for the entire family, it was definitely more than $10 per person. I enjoy HelloFresh, and I think you will too. HelloFresh wants to get you going right now. And when you go to HelloFresh.com and use the promo code CRITICALHIT30, that's CRITICALHIT and the number 30, you're going to save $30 off your first week of deliveries. That's it. Next thing you know, that box will arrive. You'll be able to open it up, and you'll be enjoying delicious, delicious meals. What kind of meals? Sizzling Southwestern chicken, pineapple pork chops, mm, yum, ribeye steak baronets. I think that's how you pronounce it. All I know is get in my tummy steak. All sorts of great meals from HelloFresh.com. So again, visit HelloFresh.com. Use the promo code CRITICALHIT30. Save $30 off your first week of deliveries. And thank you, HelloFresh, for sponsoring this episode of Critical Hit. Welcome to Critical Hit, a major spoilers podcast. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, sharing this episode with a friend. Thank you, everyone who is a patron over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. We literally could not do this without your help. As you can probably tell from the title of this episode, mailbag time. Holy cow, we haven't done this in a long time. And I have so many emails here in front of me that I haven't gone through yet. I mean, I've read all of your emails. Don't don't misunderstand that. But for the purposes of trying to get out a mailbag episode for you guys, uh, I have a lot of them that I have to sort through as, as we're doing this show. So please forgive me just a little bit. <laughs> we'll start off with an easy one. And I think this is going to be Rodrigo. Um, uh, Brandon writes in. Hi, Brandon. Um, he's got a long description about some DMing that he he has done and some things that he's learned and some good things and some positive things about what he's doing. Uh, question for everyone involved. Have you ever been driven to attempt a rework of a game system you're a fan of due to an addition feeling stale and highly imbalanced? Rodrigo, start with you. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever run a game system exactly as it is out of the box. Almost every game that that I've played has some amount of house ruling. Um, and I mean, you know, we play fourth edition D and D mostly on critical hit. 
And, you know, the, the skill challenges are a big part of the way that I run fourth edition. And they're mostly, you know, they, they retain a little bit of the original rules, but they're mostly something I made up. So that, uh, you know, as important as, as skill challenges have become, that's a big rework of the rules that I made. All right. Uh, Sam, what about you? You've uh, most recently uh, DM'd for us. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I wound up uh, combining a bit of additions there that I've used both a, a skill <laughs> challenge and uh, a version healing of surges. the fourth ed uh, healing surge rules in, in my Pathfinder game. Uh, because, you know, there are... I just thought that the skill challenge would be fun and interesting to kind of splash in there and was good for the, you know, the doing something that was not combat, but I wanted to have kind of very rules focused. Um, and then where's the healing house rules, as I, I explained at the time, um, are dealing with a problem of the system, which is that healing is a full time job that no one wants to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 Uh, Rob, what about you? Uh, completely re reworking a system other than. You know, the skills challenge stuff and how Rodrigo said, uh, you know, you kind of rework everything a little bit to suit your needs. I don't really mess with most things too much. I you try more to adapt things to mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. they're not meant to be than uh, try to rework <laughs> them at all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we've ever had an ongoing game where we just jumped systems or additions mid switch uh i think generally we would uh you know just probably start a new game if we were really having issues with a particular system for the most part uh matthew do you have any uh input that's actually where i am too i mean if if something is really really problematic i'm really more of a just jump ship kind of person yeah and that may be what leads us into this next uh, question from ben from uh, anchorage alaska um, I just jumped into D&D &D as a DM in, in 2016. I tried the Red Box and Advanced Editions in the early 80s, but we lacked the maturity and experience to get much further than character creation. Uh, fifth edition is great. When I read the basic rules, I took to them immediately. Uh, the question is, or there's a couple of questions, will Critical Hit play a full fifth edition campaign? Hmm. Uh, so, you know, we've kind of addressed this before, that for uh, the Void Saga, that's going to stay in fourth, uh, fourth edition. edition because that's where it started. Mm -hmm. And until just recently, some of the characters uh, that um, that are part of the fourth edition campaign that we're doing were not available in the fifth edition. Um, then there's the whole thing, Rodrigo, about trying to convert a character from fourth to fifth and all of that kind of <laughs> stuff. Um, so that's what we're doing there. At some point, we may do a fifth edition campaign, although it seems like from feedback that we get and uh, uh, downloads that we see, a lot of people like us experimenting with a bunch of different systems at the same time. So while I'm not saying yes, I'm also not saying no, right? Uh, no. Um, I'd enjoy seeing a full-fledged, well-rounded campaign idea played out in f uh, 5e on Critical Hit, my favorite D&D podcast. <laughs> what leads um, any of our DMs to choose another edition over fifth, which may have already been answered? fourth edition is where we started but uh rodrigo or anyone else um why do you guys not like i mean i enjoy fifth edition i mean it's it's fine but is there something that would make you say hey let's play this instead of fifth edition i mean well, I, so... I think... oh. oh go ahead 
Go ahead. I, I was going to say, like, I, I, you know, I had the, I guess, probably most recent opportunity to to choose from editions. And for honestly, for me, it was just I'm so familiar with Pathfinder um, that it was yeah. just easier for as easy a system as uh, Fifth Ed is to to play and to run. Uh, my familiarity with Pathfinder is just immense, and so for me, it was not having to deal with basically any learning curve to to go with a new system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would personally say that. Uh, why I'd probably go with the previous edition over fifth edition is that the previous two editions provide a lot more depth of character options right out the gate than fifth edition does. Uh, I mean, uh, even though they did add that extra access of backgrounds, you're still kind of largely tied to your uh, race and class out the gate. And like, you don't get to customize that too much with feats or, I mean, eventually classes will get like an extra subclass pick but some of those don't even kick in until third edition and uh yeah, i mean this is all things we've talked about before but that's right. largely why yeah. i would avoid there is just like also a staggering amount of support for three five pathfinder yes. that's like still is not there mm-hmm. for fifth ed i mean it's yeah. getting there there are some mm-hmm. like good third party supplements and like the volo's guide to monsters was a really good addition uh, mm-hmm. because before they were very light on on monsters which is things is super super important but yep. you know there are just so many like there's not that much material and some of the material there isn't great <laughs> yeah yeah the main the main reason you know in my experience to use a an out of date or you know however you want to put it an addition that is not the latest one is simply because your players are more comfortable in it mm-hmm. i mean we we've played fourth edition to the point where i think the fifth edition experience that we had on critical hit is atypical and i don't hold you know fifth edition in contempt because of any issues that we may have had during that game session. But I do feel like, at least for me, I'm more comfortable in that fourth edition setting simply because we've played it for so very long. And if we're going to transition, I want everybody to transition at the same time, not just Mm -hmm. a question of how do we transition Randus? How do we transition Cat? But how do the six of us come together and decide this is a whole new engine, a whole new system, a whole new thing, and it needs to be a new thing that we're all doing together, which is why, you know, the transitioning to Pathfinder or the other gaming systems that we've used and that we've been using rather works for me because we're all going together, even though we have different levels of experience. What is it about um, just a show of hands really quick and you can say yay, nay, Hmm. but uh, yeah, uh, who who prefers the high fantasy setting that who prefers the high fantasy setting over anything else that that's out there? Uh, nay. Over mm-hmm. anything else? Big nay. Yeah, Big so nay. Matthew say. says nay. Nay-ish. I, I don't know. I do like fantasy and mm-hmm. I prefer high fantasy to like, you know, gritty, low fantasy. Yeah, grim dark. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'd still probably go with other settings. Rump. Um. Uh-huh. Sam. I mean, I I like fantasy. I, it depends. Like, I don't know. I I don't know that I'd have a. I I've I've played in a lot of stories in fantasy D and D worlds, but like that's the thing is that that can be so many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, like even you know within, it, you could have a high fantasy like 
Planescape game that's like weird and sci-fi or, you know, a high fantasy game that's like a demon invasion that's like you're in the Crusades or <laughs> um so I, I'm I'm very hesitant to dismiss the entire genre because right, there's right, just right. so much you can do within fantasy. Right. I yeah. guess like I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of like straight up adaptation of Lord of the Rings, but um yeah. I I do like a, a lot of like the core material that is there in in Pathfinder and D and D. Rodrigo, you were going to say something. Uh, I mean, I like fantasy just fine. Um, so uh, you know. I, I am tired in general of the sort of like Tolkien-ish, yeah, yep, Tolkien-ish stuff. So um, anytime somebody's like, "Hey, here's some fantasy stuff," I'm like, "Oh, cool!" It's like elves and dwarves and halflings. I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe talk to me about it later." <laughs> yeah, 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 you know. But it's like in fantasy, you can do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, um, you know, it's, it's like Steven Universe is like barely sci-fi. Yeah. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's mostly fantasy. It's basically mm-hmm. magic, you know, and it's set kind of in the real world, but it's mostly fantasy. You know, it's like, you know, that that amount is reasonable. It's like, you know, it's it's mostly magical adventures in space. Mm-hmm. It's like that's that's you know, that sort of stuff is fine. Uh Rob, did you have some thoughts then that you gathered? Yeah. Uh after Sam had said just the uh variety that you can do with a uh, high fantasy i'm mm. i'm definitely for high fantasy i just don't mm-hmm. i don't like seeing the same the yeah, same that's Lord why of the Rings. it's so yeah, disappointing yeah. seeing the same old token races trotted out again and again yeah, so there is yeah. all this possibility yeah, yeah so here's here's kind of my answer i do enjoy reading like the the lord of the rings and the hobbit and the mm-hmm. sword of shannara and all of that and but at the same time i also like Dresden Files. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. really love, you know, like the 1940s detective stuff, yeah. you know, Chandler and, uh, you know, all those guys. I have enjoyed Westerns here and there. I enjoy superheroes. And my reading habits when I'm reading will sometimes stay in um, the, the Ross McDonald uh, detective novels. I would mm-hmm. go through like five of those at a time. <laughs> and then at the end of five of those novels, I'd be like, okay, I'm ready for a break from detectives for a while. Kind of. Let me go check it, check out the Dresden files, which is technically a detective, but it's more like urban detective fantasy. Vampires. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you've got that going on. And, and so that's really cool. And then I'll listen to some sci-fi stuff or read some sci-fi stuff or I'll read superhero comic books and I'll, I'll kind of weave in and out. And sometimes I like biography stuff and real world type stuff. And I think right now that's kind of how I like my, my RPGs is I've played high fantasy and I've enjoyed high fantasy and I can't wait till we get back to uh, void saga. But at the same time, what is a, what is an RPG game in a, in a, in a Western setting? What is it in space? What is it in this? What is a detective? What is, you know, what is this urban fantasy stuff going on? I want to experience all of those kind of at different times. And yes, there are at some point, once I have sample, once I've tried the sampler platter, I will say, you know what? I really prefer this one over all else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like we we have this yeah we have this conversation a lot on the major spoilers podcast mm-hmm. or or really we used to because we're actually living right now in a, a very good time for uh, non superhero comics but we talk about mm-hmm. a lot how you know to people that don't read comics a lot comics are equivalent to superheroes right mm-hmm. like right. it's like the Avengers are out and Spider Man is like oh look at all these comic book movies mm-hmm. it's like comics does not equal superheroes it's just that the genre 
originated in comics and it's they're very closely tied together. It's the same thing, right? D&D is the most popular role-playing game. So you often mm-hmm. see it. Um, you know, I, I just saw something where it's like um, people are using like inmates at this prison are uh, playing D&D and it's yeah, like and helping it with their social skills. It was totally Pathfinder. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I mean, exactly <laughs> that, right? It's like, yeah, it's like at no point did anybody think to say role-playing games, right? It's just yeah. automatically synonymous. Yeah, it's like Dungeons generic. It's like Kleenex as right. opposed to tissues. Yep. Yeah, exactly. right. Exactly. So, yeah. uh, you know, in general, role-playing games as a medium aren't well-known uh, to, to the general public, so it's very difficult to convey to people that there isn't just one, mm-hmm. you right. know, and that you know you can play any literally any genre you can play you know ones where there isn't combat you can play ones like you can play you can literally there's role playing games where you can just play a sitcom yeah and, and that's yes. it yeah and we kind of go into a bunch of different systems um over on our Patreon, we had a bonus episode <laughs> where we basically quiz Brian. We say, here's the game we want to play. And he picked out the system for us. We tried to stump him. Mm-hmm. So you can go find yeah. that, which kind of leads into this next email. And it's just too good of an email to pass up. Uh, but it's from Kalor, who says, I'm on my second listen through of the Critical Hit series. And as I type this, I'm listening to the ending of The Lords of the Feywild. When I first started listening to Critical Hit, I was going through a, a really rough patch of my life. And your show helped me honestly more than you could imagine. I think it's amazing that you provide this service to the public free of charge, although it takes so much of your time to create. Even though it's free... It is worth so much to me. Paying $25 a month via Patreon is it's a, it's a no-brainer. My question, if I'm not a wealthy man and I can spare $25 a month to major spoilers, why can't the rest of Critical Hit Heights spare just two bucks? It blows my mind that people will spend $4 on coffee, but not even $2 a month on major spoilers. Sigh. TLDR, you guys are great. All the major spoilers content is great. Keep up the great work. Sincerely, a huge fan, Kaler. Uh, well, thank you for that uh, email. It means a lot to us when um, people listen to this show and it helps them out through troubled times or through rough patches that they may be having. And we certainly appreciate all of our, our patrons, no matter uh, how much that they are willing to uh, contribute. But uh, Kaler does point something out, that it does cost us time, effort, energy, equipment. I just recently redid a whole revamping of computer gear here because mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff was failing left and right. We needed something stable and secure. That costs money, and um, we want to keep shows like Critical Hit and Top 5 and the Major Spoilers podcast free uh, month after month. And if every one of you listening to this show right now took time to go over to patreon.com slash spoilers and put in just $2, if, th- if you think that uh, what did, we did the math one time, four episodes a month at $2 is how much per episode? 50 cents. 50 mm-hmm. cents an episode. If you think that this these episodes are worth 50 cents an episode, then head over there and sh- sign up for the $2 a month. That's all we need to keep the lights on. <laughs> but here's the thing. We just mentioned a bonus episode that's over there for people where we quiz Brian on on these games, which is a, really a lot of fun, and we ought to do that again uh, sometime really soon. If, if you pay a little bit more, like a $5 a month, $5 is a sweet spot. We, I did an average uh, a little behind the scenes stuff. I did an average of what people are paying. And right now, $7 is the average from the low end to the high end. Seven is that average. So even if you can contribute $5 a month, about a buck an episode, uh, that goes a long way to 
buying the equipment, the gear, the, the game systems that we need to, to do this stuff and to get money to everyone who is participating in this as well. If we had every single one of you do $5 a month, not only would you get access to bonus content, wow, um, we could probably hire everybody here full time if everybody did $5 a month. Nice. So, listeners, as Kaylor is asking, and I know, and, and here's the thing, I know not everyone can spare $2 a month, right? Mm-hmm. I understand that. And so I'm, it's not a pressure to saying, well, if you're not paying, you're not, you're not, you're not contributing. Um, but if you can, then, you know, think about it. Patreon.com slash major spoilers. A lot of other good stuff over there. Uh, t-shirts, art, original art that uh, um, is just being knocked out of the park that you get yeah, prints for. Amazing Alex, Alex Diacon is doing that. And it's, and it's fantastic stuff. And Condor Man. Don't forget Condor Man. And Condor Man <laughs> is doing that stuff. Hi, Torical Tones. I'm new to DMing and have started a game with two friends and my boyfriend. I got super deep into world building and also set up many origin stories for each story. I thought I was prepared enough to go forward and both friends' origin stories went fine. However, once it got to my boyfriend, I found it hard to DM for him. He's very fast talker and thinker and can be impatient. We talked about this after the session and he was very responsive to trying different strategies. One idea was to co-DM with him. I can mm-hmm. give him my ideas so far about the world and we can collaborate and trade off sessions. However, I don't want to ruin the experience for him by telling him everything. How do you guys as DMs usually hand- handle telling your characters about the world? My game idea involves the characters traveling between different worlds, so the cosmology and gods are a part of the narrative, kind of like mm-hmm. the gods of the void. How do I balance clarifying my setting and keeping the story interesting? That's from Anna. Well, that's a tough well one. Yeah. if you if you co-DM, then you have to give him all the information. Otherwise, at some point, he's going to be like, and then a purple dragon shows up, and yeah. then you're going to be like, well, there are no purple dragons in this world, and then you're then you're going to have to deal with it right then and there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all if you're both going to run that game, then you're both going to have to have all information. So if you want to keep the surprises, then you might have to, I would say you should keep them, keep him as a player mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah. just talk to him about, um, definitely make sure that everybody's staying in character. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy for people that naturally dominate the conversation and people that are naturally fast talkers to go into that mode when they are going into it. Um, so just as, as the game master, you always have the ability to be like, hold on a second. Give me a diplomacy role. Mm-hmm. Like, right. You can always slow down the action and be like, okay, hang on. Give me a diplomacy role. Well, that's so, so, Hey, you tiny shy person who's playing a bard, you give me a diplomacy role. Oh, that was better. You talk now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you can you can actually use the rules to your advantage to kind of slow things down. Um, you know, yeah. it sounds like it sounds like he's excited about the game, so that's good. And it sounds like he's open to trying things out. But I, I think that again, if you making him a, another game master and also with like not having him have all the information is kind of just asking for a misstep in some aspect of the game. Either he's going to move your game in a direction that you don't want. And then you're either, you're going to have to rewrite your notes or tell him no, and nobody's going to like that. Or, um, or at some point you're, 
or or at some point he's gonna like kind of spoil things for himself by wandering into somewhere that you you had already prepared. Yeah. It that said, difficult. you can totally do collaborative world building without actually co-DMing. Um, right. Like if he wants to have, if you think what would help him is having like a really elaborate backstory, you can give him like a corner of the world to design and then yeah. feel free to take what he says about it and then mess with it. It's like, oh, well, there's this like secret society that he invented that does this. It's like, well, maybe they actually also do that. Right. It can be very difficult to run a game with someone that you are involved with someone who is your significant other or someone that you have a really strong connection with or that you have even a you know tumultuous relationship with and you have to ask yourself is the fact that your friends origins went fine but his didn't is that a function of the way that you interact with him more as you know the significant other than as the dungeon master and at that point because I, I will echo what Rodrigo said and emphasize that in Matthew's opinion, don't co-GM. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't believe that co-GMing is something that is usually successful. And I feel, in my experience, it leads to more problems than it will ever resolve. Especially yeah. since what this really breaks down to is... Finding a gaming, a game mastering style or a game control style that's going to work with what your significant other is doing. And it, it, it may also be worth letting him know that when he was fast talking and giving it, was, it did give you some issues as a game master and just treat him as, as much as you can as any other player and say, here, look, here's the feedback that I have for the way that interaction went. And here's some things that I would like to see about going forward. But that's just me. I'm old and mean. So, well, and maybe that is a product of, you know, your past experience, uh, Matthew, with with the way the, the game was set up and, and wanting to just a single DMGM. Um, but, you know, I actually receive a lot of emails from people, and I've read a couple of them uh, here already without going into the entire details of stuff, where people are actually co-GMing games or switching back and forth. You know, hey, you're going to cover the first part, I'll cover the second part, and, and we'll switch back and forth. Yeah, I, it's something people do. Yeah. Um, it's not, it, it, it's something that's possible, but like any group activity, it requires a lot of communication. Um, I've never done it because as you guys know, I'm a huge control freak when it comes to (laughs) role-playing games. So I don't know if I could do it. Um, Marriage forbid, sir. Yeah. As as you all know. You ran more than a couple games for the town bicycle. Oh, I did. Well, I guess that's true. So I've, I've, I've done it, uh, but that wasn't my setting. So I guess, yes, in in that sense, I, I have done it because I was kind of, invited to do it in someone else's playground so th- there you go i guess i have done it so what about the rest of you sam you're a you're a big uh rpg nerd mm-hmm. uh, and you and your husband both are do you guys team up uh with your friends or is this strictly a this is mine and that is yours and never shall we share our, so like our I said, we, we do. dungeon master screen uh, co-world building like uh, Kevin likes to call me his idea pinata mm-hmm. um, because he just like pokes me until <laughs> I come up with ideas nice. um, but uh, so I've, I've been in a few games that were co-GM'd and I put them along the lines of like the same room as pickup games where it's like oh we're gonna have like whoever can show up tonight will be part of the party um, in that I don't think they really work very well oh, and like okay. again in in 
a different sort of circumstance when it's like light character, pure dungeon crawly, light plot, light world building. I could see that working. But like um, like the re- issue I always have with pickup games is like, okay, well, today uh, Mike, Dan, and Allison could play, but uh, next week it's Mike, Air, and Dan. So Allison's character goes, hmm? Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, the, the co-DMing is like if you have very uh different spheres in like the same world maybe that can work but like people they tend to have people have different tones they have different goals and uh unless like you said it's like i've seen co-dming work in say a larp situation where you have multiple people all really working together to tell the same story that are like all on the same side and no one is actually acting as a player they're all just playing different npcs and i think that works great but uh taking turns as player and dm i am not a big fan of personally a lot of it depends on how much control you want over what's going on yeah Uh, right excuse me like it said rodrigo did do the uh the town bicycle is just kind of a, a different dm any given week and and what uh, system that, did you use for that? That was uh, three five three five. Days. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was when right. we were doing three five. I mean, it doesn't matter what the system is uh, if you're but, running the same. But even even then, I mean, I in my game, the party ended up coming back with like a dozen goblins, and like no one ever did anything with them. There were just like a dozen goblins in the background. You know, it's like, so like the next game master, like has to deal with those goblins. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh-huh. or he doesn't. Yeah. Or he doesn't. Yeah. 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 Um, so were you going to say something else, Matthew? Did you have something else to add? I, I did. And I, I want to make sure that I'm saying this delicately. I think that there is a point where everyone has considered co-GMing when dealing with a player who is uh, distinctive, who is um, not necessarily divisive, but someone who's very forceful. And I don't think that just based on what I've heard, again, I don't know the whole situation, that co-GMing is actually the answer to this issue. I think this is more of a, a DM to player issue bordering into a significant other to significant other issue. And I think that the co-GMing is really a compromise that's going to leave everybody unsatisfied. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes we get emails and we don't get some mailbags and, and, until things have ended. But I want to read this anyway because uh, they may have completed this Kickstarter or you may be wanting to look them up. But this is from Melissa who says, I've been a religious follower of Critical Hit since about October 2014, and I have to thank you all so much for creating an amazing environment and entertainment. When I first came across your podcast, I was obsessed. I listened to every single episode from the beginning, and when I got to the end, I listened to them all again. I've been a VIP supporter for a year or so now, and I've recommended Critical Hit countless times. I even proudly announced to new partners and or acquaintances, yes, my favorite podcast is a D&D Real pod, uh, Play podcast, and yes, I'm happy to write that down for you. It's a staple of my Saturday morning ritual, and I can't thank you enough for all the hard work you each have done in creating such amazing, fun, and informative content. I'm going to break out for just a moment and say that there are people all over the place that will listen to Critical Hit. Um, uh, one of our other listeners sucked me into a Twitter conversation where she's like, oh, I used to live in uh, was it uh, Portugal or Puerto Rico, uh, Portugal, I think, and uh, she has just moved to Japan. 
And she's like, I wonder if there's any critical hit listeners here. And I pulled up my stats and I said, according to our stats, yes, there are 33 people in Japan that are listening to us right now. (laughs) Uh, It's not a lot. But again, so if people are wondering, you know, where can you find other critical hit listeners and you may be in another country, um, you know, it's just the unfortunate byproduct that our podcast is in English that. Uh, countries that speak English have a higher percentage of listeners than countries that English is not their native language. So while we do have uh, people in Colombia and we do have people in Argentina and we do have people in where's in Africa? Oh, we, well, it's uh, uh, South Africa, but there's also um, uh, up around the the hump there in Africa. We've got uh, a couple of those countries that are tuning in. Uh, also Germany, Finland, uh, Russia, China. There's people all over the world. Uh, maybe not as much, but you know, there's people all over. But I'm, I'm really glad when someone like Melissa will go around and say, hey, if you heard about our podcast, I'd like to give you a pamphlet on this right now. Maybe we should print those up and, and uh, put something up where like, people can print those put out. Put in the bus stations with the chick track. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so back into Melissa's uh, email. I have a friend who's been working with her husband and a few others in Washington to decide a LARP game right up in the alley of Weird Western and Yellow Light, and I thought you might find it interesting. It's called Call of the Void, and their team is currently working on a Kickstarter to get the game rolling. The Kickstarter probably is already launched and done with by the time you listen to this, uh, listeners, but um, if you're in the Washington area and you like to LARP, uh, look up Call of the Void on their Facebook page and spread the good news if you, if you would like to lend your support. So thank you again for uh, truly everything I've expressed about and more over the years. Critical Hit was the first podcast I ever listened to and will always, always hold a special place in my heart for that and for the lifelong passion for tabletop role-playing it spawned as well. So much love and appreciation. Thank you, Melissa. Um, so let's continue the love. Hello, Rob, Rodrigo, <laughs> Stephen, Sam, Brian, and last but not certainly least, Matthew. My name is Josh, and I must confess, y'all got me hooked on D&D, and I'm so glad that I found your podcast. I love listening to your characters' craziness, particularly in the episodes Smith Returns, Poof, They Were Gone, The Twilight Guardian, Cobalt Alley, She Who Slumbers in Agony, A Fate Worse Than Ket. <laughs> I forgot I called that one that <laughs> Uh, I forget some of these titles I've come up with. Uh, The Tempest Toad versus Trell and the Nearly Dead Men. Uh, The Modern City Saga, Basalt and the Team Box Troll, among others. I'm currently working through the Weird Western Saga. In fact, I'm listening to the Swamp of the Despair episode as I write this. I love the posse's preposterous predicaments, and I think that Sam is one of the awesomest, craziest, most hilarious DMs I've ever encountered. Keep up the great work, guys, and holy crap, I just got a critical hit. Love and chocular fun (laughs) from Josh. P.S. Oh, yeah, he does ask about Weird Western character sheets. Uh, we don't really have those available uh, up on the Patreon or VIP sites. Uh, right now, the only things, and we even have uh, almost impossible uh, to get our Call of Cthulhu character sheets up there because of the way that the PDF is embedded and you can only open it up in a true PDF and then it won't print out correctly. So yeah, we don't have the weird Western character sheets or the uh, Call of Cthulhu character sheets for our patron or VIP members, but the um, critical hit stuff, modern city stuff, all of that stuff is up at on patreon.com slash major spoilers. Um, let's see. Oh, I've got a question for Sam. Just as yes. this is not an email question, but something that I've noticed when I've seen your game nights. Um, and this can be then spread out to everyone because we've kind of talked about this before, but it needs to be brought up again. You and your husband have quite a collection of those. Uh, is it uh, the Dungeon Forge? Uh, Dwarven Forge. Dwarven yeah. Forge things. Nice. Do you use those a lot in your in well, your yeah. gameplay? And, yeah, and- so the thing that probably made me the saddest about Weird Western was that it was on Roll20. And I tried <laughs> coming up with like some ways to like set up a 
Dwarven Forge set up and then like take a picture mm. oh, of yeah, it, yeah, yeah. upload it, and it just didn't work. Yeah. Um, I love Dwarven Forge. So have you used any other stuff? Have you ever looked at, um, you know, like some of the 3D printed stuff that's up on Thingiverse? Or are you are you so locked in? Have you built your own uh, little sets and models? Or you uh, know, So I, I haven't built um, any of my own. I'm no... I am don't have the patience for like the construction or the painting. Mm-hmm. Um, though I have like, every time I go to Gen Con, I look out for things that kind of like, cause once you get invested in something like Dwarven Forge, you're looking for things that will sync up to it or fit on the same board. So it has to kind of be on mm-hmm. the same scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually um, like, yeah, just kind of looking around for, for cool little things. Like I get a lot of mileage out of basically small miniature, like it's like, that's a pot. Or that's a you know a tree, mm-hmm. or um, you know just little kind of accessories <laughs> that that make a room look more interesting. Like, and some of those are Dwarven Forge, and some of those are many many other assorted companies that I've I've found at cons or on Kickstarter mm-hmm. or on like mm-hmm. even crafter websites. Um, that it's like, well, here's like a dragon's hoard, and it actually has a pile of gold in the corner. So I, nice. I just I find that it's a really fun to play with. Um, yeah. and be really fun to like play with as a as a as a player to just like see these setups yeah because yeah. you guys have a one you have a giant table we do and, and yeah. i thought at one point i saw that that entire table which has got to be like six feet by four feet or something like that or bigger yep and that thing was covered with the the miniature models yes and that does look like a lot of fun to play and i do enjoy that that 3d experience of that it's sometimes i find it more, I, I find i definitely find it more enjoyable than you know like a, a a drawn on map or um the cardboard tiles that you can get from wizards of the coast and from other places but what about the the rest of you i mean some of you are just happy to roll out a mat and put a marker down some of you yeah. really enjoy roll 20 and just yeah. hey we're just going to draw it out there the more elaborate the map can be the cooler it gets mm-hmm. um it can also sometimes be a detriment, though, the more detailed it is. But, mm. yeah, I mean, it's definitely neat. Uh, I mean, predominantly, we have just used the dry erase or mm-hmm. wet erase mats. Oh, no, and there's and... nothing wrong with that. I mean, because it's fast oh, yeah, and it's right. easy and it gets mm-hmm. set up and it gets it gets yeah, the job done. Yeah, we still done. use not... that for, like, plenty of, like, we, we ran a, um, you know, whole campaign that my, my husband ran. And it was entirely on, like, wet erase or not even grids, mm-hmm. uh, especially mm-hmm. when you get into, like, things like Fifth Ed, mm-hmm. uh, where it's, like, it's a lot easier because things are less, you know, you're less concerned about uh, area of effect spells and um, attacks of opportunity. Yeah. So, like, you can, you don't, you can just be theater than the mind and don't need that. Plus, like, especially if you're just having a very small encounter or something that doesn't mm-hmm. have a lot of flourish is just throwing down some tiles or, or a grid is uh, right. is nice. But nice. yeah, the I think the setup that you saw the picture of was for this like truly epic fight where we <laughs> fought like a uh, so, like red dragon sorceress and a uh, an arch div, which are like <laughs> uh, this evil genie kind thing in uh, Pathfinder in like the heart of the city that we also had to save and rescue the people. So for that, like that kind of epic scale thing, like an epic scale setup is really satisfying. So was that all just set up for just the encounter or was there things like you had to search around in a, in a house to find a trap door or to find a weapon or two? It was an encounter that had like puzzles built into Uh, it. Okay. So, um, so like you actually, so one of the caveats of the fight was that the, uh, the, 
dragon sorceress couldn't be killed while there was a fire burning. Mm. And so she had hidden fires in like all these different buildings that we had to then put out in order to actually kill her. Okay, cool. Rodrigo or Matthew, do you want to share some thoughts on, on the, on your play areas? I think that as someone who uh, at one point, part of my job was taking care of the communal tiles and towers and trees and things in our gaming area at the store, you do kind of come to that point, and you know this happened to me with my comic book collection too. Of I love all these things; they are wonderful things. But dear God, where am I going to put them? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that that to me is kind of the downside of it. In that, if I were to go down a dwarven forge rabbit hole, <laughs> I would likely not come back up yeah. because you you get to a point where you're like, well, I need this. And in case I need that, I know I might need one of these and two of these and this thing and this paddle ball and the chair and this plant. And you, you kind of get to a point where you have to cut yourself short. And for me, it's wonderful to have those. And it can be immersive to the game when used correctly, but also it's hubcaps on a tractor in as much as they are there. They are wonderful and they, they do have a function. But then there's also the point of what are you going to do with them when you're done? And that question always comes down to, oh, we're just going to stick them in Stacy's office and then I'm going to get yelled at for the next five years. Yeah, we, we have many, many Ikea containers. Right? Yeah. Lots and lots of plastic tubs. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I have that uh, problem with uh, <laughs> certain Legos that are yes. all over the place. Uh, Rodrigo. Um, I mean, I like them, but I'm personally not very, like, crafty or mm-hmm. handy so um anytime i've ever tried to do stuff like that i just a i'm not very good at it and b kind of give up very quickly like i i find that like putting stuff like that together kind of boring um so i just generally don't that and you know rolling out a mat or doing something online gives me a lot of freedom to just kind of um change things on the fly a little bit easier and i know that a lot of these things are modular anyway so you know obviously there are a lot of changes that you can make um but yeah just to kind of be like just you know like this is now a corridor right 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 (laughs) yeah no that that i i you know if you're trying to get something out fast and you're trying to keep the gameplay moving i think you know having a mat and drawing it out is really cool um or if you have tiles because the nice thing about tiles is you can change them around and flip them around and do different things with them. Uh, on the Roll20 system, Roll20 and Wizards of the Coast have teamed up um, and have done some amazing things with the 5th edition stuff where you can buy, you know, pre-made maps and you can buy um, little tiles and you can build your own dungeons all in Roll20 and it's got really cool art design and um, it's got tokens, little pogs, virtual pogs for all of your your characters and the monsters that you're going to encounter and then you click on the monster and you've got all the stats that pop up. I mean, it's really, really cool stuff if you guys <laughs> want to check that out. But for the last couple of years, I mean... There's a flip the table button. Yeah, there's a flip the table button. Uh, and I love the Dwarven Forge stuff. I think it looks so cool. Uh, I've tried my hand at... Uh, um, uh, I think it was maybe a precursor to Dwarven Forge before they started doing their polystone stuff where you could buy like a, a uh, mold, a, not a mold, but you could buy like a printout of a building and then you mm. cut out, mm. you cut it out and paper then you fold craft. it up and you do some yeah. paper craft stuff. And I tried my hand at that and I thought that was really cool. And now that I have a 3d printer, I love going and printing out tiles 
to kind of lay out and walls and pillars and all sorts of things. It's cheaper than a Dwarven Forge. Um, but then again, you have to paint it and do all that stuff, whereas Dwarven Forge comes all that way. But if you're someone that likes the little miniatures, I really enjoy that 3D environment stuff because you can do some crazy stuff with Legos, that. Man. You can do it with yeah, Legos. The, the, Could do it with Legos. I've added... seen people do uh, Lego mm-hmm. minifigs as their characters, so... The fifth yep. ed roll twenty stuff is cool. I actually considered using um, Strahd's mm-hmm. banner as the basis for Miller banner, oh, but that's cool. I did, didn't have quite the look that I yeah. was looking for. Yeah, as of this recording, the one that was just released was Tomb of Annihilation, and that's a pretty cool pack of stuff that you get with that. So go check it out. It's it does cost you. Uh, you do have to buy it uh, through the roll twenty system, but it is worth checking out. Um, I think this person's name is Blarg. At least that's how they uh, signed off on the email. Blarg. <laughs> that may be from my wife, actually. Um, I'm currently in the process of getting a 5e game up and running with some friends. All of us first time to tabletop games. The game will be a typical sword and sorcery D&D fantasy, but set in an old west type uh, region country. I'd like to give my players a map of the area so they can keep a general idea of where they are so they have a visual reference on where I want to keep certain people, items, places, and events. Uh, for example, where the land of the Lost-esque valley uh, where they will fight an evil necromancer, etc. My problem is, I don't have any sort of art skills and don't really know enough about geography to make a map. I know I could just hand wave it as, it just works this way because of magic, but would like to avoid that if I can. Do you have any tips when it comes to making a world map? Are there any programs I should look into that could help me with this, or should I open up, paint, and have at it? That's question number one. There is actually a... Uh, program, and I may have replied back to this person already, but there is a program that lets you build a virtual world where basically it'll randomize a map and you can tell it these are where I want certain areas or I want this to be a desert area or whatever, and it will create it for you. Mm. Um, There's a number of uh, random generator mm -hmm. things, if that's the route you want to go. I've looked at the ones where you know you lay down basically various tiles and whatnot to build a map. Yeah, I've seen ones for like hex exploration for for Mm -hmm. Pathfinder that will let you build a hex map pretty well. One easy idea might be just start with circles. Like, Mm -hmm. here's this circle is the jungle area, and inside this circle is where the valley of the land of the lost dinosaurs are going to be, and here's where (laughs) this city is. And then as you start building that out, it's just that way. I don't know. I mean, personally, I like it when someone puts a lot of thought, like Rodrigo does in, in his maps, uh, puts a lot of thought into, okay, well, the mountains are here and the rivers run down, so the rivers are going to run this way, and then those are going to el- empty out into a delta, which empties out into the <laughs> sea. And so it, when you think about those kinds of things, it mm-hmm. makes sense, and I appreciate that. Um, but sometimes maybe you just have the ocean butts right up against the mountain, and mm-hmm. right built alongside the, the the cliff of a mountain is where your village is at, and uh, maybe yeah. that's how you just do it. I, I think, personally, I think you can do whatever you want, however works best for your for your campaign that you're creating there's always the option that we did back in the day which is to say the early 1980s late 1970s um find a book uh mm-hmm. old book buy a book steal a book don't steal a book but <laughs> find a book that has maps in it mm-hmm. and adjust those maps to your liking or to your needs or you know steal and and pilfer those maps for what you need and then stick it in paint and just wing that mother yeah Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, because I mean, if it's if it's in your head, mm-hmm. you you have a way to express yourself. Anybody, anybody, any single person in the entire universe can draw. You may not draw mm-hmm. to where you think you're good at it, and you may have you know your your mean friend Stephen poke fun at you. And these things will happen. Oh no, your penmanship is perfect. 
I know it is, right? I'm no. pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> but what it really comes down to is it's in your head. Yeah. You can get it out one way or the other. Yep. Even if you have to, you know, carve it in mashed potatoes on your kitchen. This table, means like something. Uh, <laughs> that kind of leads into the second part of, of uh, this person's question. But I want to get to Rodrigo, who has made a lot of maps that we've shared with people. Tell us yeah, about the rivers, uh, Rodrigo. Well, I, I mean, that is an important consideration. Um so here's a story. I don't know. I don't know if I've shared it on Critical Hits. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, when I made the map for the central continent, um, the rivers don't come from mountains. And that's where rivers come from. You know, rivers flow down from mountains and there's just rivers that don't connect to any actual mountains. You know, they don't have to, they could come from like higher plains or whatever. But it's like, when I made that map, I didn't know where rivers usually come from. Um, also, you know, like deserts and mount, like mountains generate a lot of what, uh, of climate zones. And in the, in the central continent, there's clearly a lot of magical stuff going on because there's almost no mountains and there's still all these like climate zones. Right. Um, so, you know, learning about that stuff is nice for your maps. Um, definitely there's kind of like this basic geography stuff that you can just learn from Wikipedia. If you go to Mm -hmm. Wikipedia Mm -hmm. and type in desert, it'll actually give you some of like some basic stuff about deserts, you know, just type in tundra and it'll give you some basic stuff about that and you know how they're kind of these uh, areas are created. Um, there's always more to learn. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is practice. Um, I actually found that I really enjoy drawing maps. I Mm. am uh, finally managed to claw out an amount of time in my schedule so that I'm actually running like a a non-podcast game now. Um, (laughs) And I spent a really long time working on a map for it. And I have like probably like 10, 15 different iterations of the map that I wanted to use for it until I got one that I actually felt comfortable with. And it is just like, if you look through my notebook, it's just like 50 different squiggly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's all, that's what it looks like, right? It's just like squiggle, 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 because that's what coastlines look like. Um, and I was like, oh, well, maybe there should be like a river here or something. So just like make a note and then, you know, just kind of like go back and look at what you did before and you try it again. Um, cause like a weirdo, I always, cause like a weirdo, I always draw in pen. So here's another <laughs> note, draw in pencil. That's, that's going to make things a lot yeah. easier. And if you're, if you're using the, um, if you're using fifth edition, you know, the, the seasonal campaigns like tomb of annihilation, frost giants, fury, those kinds of things, uh, especially tomb of annihilation has like a giant world map in the back of the book. That is huge. Uh, that you can, again, maybe adapt it to what, to what your game is. Uh, but Blar goes on to say, my other issue is that I've always had trouble getting my ideas out of my head and onto paper and getting them fleshed out. While I know the general plot of the game, um, while I know the general plot of the game will be the players are super bounty hunters going after the worst of the worst only to find hidden connection between these villains as they go along, I'm not quite sure of the finer details of things like how to introduce them to the idea of being bounty hunters or how to implement that uh, connection without beating them over the head with it and what exactly is the end game of this hidden foe and so on. What are some things I can do to help outline and detail the plot as I move forward with it? Um, One thing I would say is there is a fantastic app called Scrivener. Mm. And Scrivener is really designed for people who are writing books, comic books, movies, those kinds of things. But um, they have a lot of templates that you can download for other things. And when it comes to like the NaNoWriMo um, November Writing Month, 
uh, they have a world building template that goes through and asks you, okay, who are your main characters? What is the plot? What is this world about? How does this world work? And it just goes into super fine details. And it's really designed to help you think about your broader world and also help you outline your story and how are your characters getting from point A to point B. So an app like Scrivener might be something that will help you organize your ideas and get them out there because it asks you very direct questions like, are there magical beasts in this world? Yes or no? Describe them, right? So that can help you maybe um, come up with those ideas and get them out of your head and onto at least a computer where then you could flesh them out um, later. Rob? That's a great plan. Um, I lost track of what the question was. Uh, uh, getting get the ideas out of his head and getting them fleshed out and onto paper and how to get forward with that. Uh, I was actually going to go on the other part of don't worry about if your players aren't figuring out the connection. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're, I mean, if you're putting in seeds and they're just not picking up on them, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if they're, you know, you've got a specific thing going on. They're bounty hunters. They're going after the guys. There's not a ton of reason for them to deviate from the plot. Mm-hmm from what you've described. So don't worry about them not entirely catching it until the end. If they end up not getting it and it just kind of slams into them all at the end, then the reveal is all that much sweeter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe if they're working for somebody that's a hidden connection between villains, maybe as you're taking down one of your bounties, Oh no, I'm not the one you want. Uh, You're working for someone evil. Ah. (laughs) Rodrigo, do you have some ideas on how to get your uh, ideas out your head and onto um, a working game? Uh, yeah. Um, you can write them down, you can draw them. Um, if you're, uh, if you're concerned about, you know, just kind of getting those like finer details, cause it, it sounds like this person has like the basic premise of their game and they just, they're like, okay, so what I want to happen is A, B, and C, and then just getting those like li- those connections in between those major plot points. Um, I, I, good ways of doing that is is basically to putting in these seeds of um, what those plot points are going to be. So you want there to be a connection. So you know, for example, with the bounty hunter thing, they can bust up someone and they have a weird tattoo and they bust up someone else and that other person has a weird tattoo and then like rob said there's a very good chance that the players aren't going to put it together right um and if they don't then that is a clue that is still out there floating in the ether that, that might come back later you know you can then uh try something else you can try having somebody send them on a bounty against somebody that hasn't done anything wrong. And they're like, well, why are they sending us after this person? Right. Um, a, a good way to get players interested in a mystery is to put incongruous things in front of them um, <laughs> to be like, okay, we're bounty hunters and we hunt down criminals. Okay. It's like, well, now they're sending us after this person who's not supposed to be a criminal or have a mission be extremely easy. All right. It's like, usually there's like a big fight and they, there's like all these guys and they come after us. It's like, why was this so easy? That might actually get the players asking questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, establish what a usual bounty hunter mission is first. Like, have there 
bounty guy be like, hey, guys, got a new bounty for you. Here you go. They go. They fight a guy. They bring him back. Gives him some money. Maybe do that a couple times. Once they're used to that, then have the plot hit them. Have, like, this bounty went sideways. Why? Then the next bounty is like, this one went a little weird. Why? Like, have the person return and have the bounty head. Like, have them flash something to the bounty head and, like, him be like, okay, you are free to go, my man. Never mind. That was wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like, why? You know, it's like, just start establishing things where that pattern that they're used to is now breaking for some reason that'll get them asking questions and you can go from there sam do you have some thoughts yeah i think the most important thing in a uh plot like that is for you to always just know what each of your i guess antagonists are doing so if you're creating this network of of villains then you want to have a really clear idea who they are and what their deal is from the get-go so that you can seed things. Because if it's like this one villain is on this bounty list because they run like this illegal smuggling operation, then, you know, if there's PCs are looking for a rare item, then they might wind up um, unintentionally doing business with them and then realize that they've supported the enterprise later. Um, And likewise, you know, if they have... uh, some, you know, two antagonists that are like jockeying for position against each other, they might see like one of their minions turn up dead and be like, huh, that's that's interesting. And uh, so really, yeah, keeping track of for yourself, keeping meticulous notes uh, is, is really what you want to do to be able to see that information. Excellent. And that's, uh, and that's really good, too, because then if the players make a weird left turn, um you already have that, right? Like the players make a make a strange decision and you're like, that would they would walk right into the wheelhouse of smuggler man. Mm-hmm. So right. now I have all of this stuff prepared. I was gonna do this two games from now, but I can just bring this in now, right? Mm. Yep. It's like players like have having it. having those characters fleshed out and ready to go allows you to just bring stuff to the fore whenever the players just wander into it. Yep. Uh, James says, first of all, thanks so much for making hours of entertainment that I've really enjoyed. Also, Twerk is the best. Hope he's still around. Don't know if he's still Ooh. around because he was never <laughs> heard from again. <laughs> uh, uh, now on to my question. Place, I'm thinking of starting a game that is set in the Magic the Gathering world of Theros, or at least start it there um, with before any of the characters are planeswalkers. I was wondering what I could have certain races flavored as, since most of the races don't exist in that world, like elves and satires. Uh, what is those? Satyrs. 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 Yes. Thanks in advance. Exists. Well, it's spelled as satires, but uh, we're not going to make fun of James for that. Rodrigo, I'm going to start off with you because you had just tweeted out the other day about if you were going to do Magic the Gathering as an RPG game, you actually wouldn't set it in Theros. You were going to set it somewhere else. Uh, yeah, if I was if I was going to do any magic setting, uh, if I was going to run an RPG in any magic in any magic setting, it would be Alara because it's probably the widest possible one. That's W I D E S T. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, broadest, broadest, one, broadest yes, that. deep your, depth. Uh, yeah, just because it's it's kind of five settings in one. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as Theros. Um, it, uh, do they do they say what? I'm I'm guessing this is for D and D. Yeah. They say what well, just did it, it say that edition? Uh, no, it didn't. Just at okay. RPG. So, um, if it's if it's for D and D, um, you know, uh, I think satyrs are pretty uh 
foresty, so they can be your elves. And what else? What else was unique to Theros? There were like merfolk, right? So yeah, the uh, if you can find yourself some some water, water Ganassi, Ganassi types, yeah. um, minotaurs, uh, minotaurs, half orcs for them. If uh, yeah, half orcs. If if they if you're playing D and D next and they haven't come out with them, if you're playing anything before that. You can probably find some either minotaur. a straight up minotaur or some big burly race like a Goliath or something to mm-hmm. to cover for that. So that's I would do that. As far as like the magic system, I mean, Magic the Gathering, even in Theros, was pretty much like you know has that kind of like point and click zappy zappy spell type stuff. So you really don't need to reflavor a lot of D and D stuff. And I mean. Unlike almost every other setting, your clerics fit right in on Theros. So it's probably the best place for divine magic um, if you're gonna if you're gonna set a D and D game anywhere. Yeah, uh, Rob, you want to weigh in? You're a big uh, Magic the Gathering fan. Um, I, Rodrigo said that there's you just kind of have to figure out which way to reskin any given character or any given race for the native races at theros there's usually only about five or six other than humans Mm -hmm. usually about one for each color yeah uh but theros is a pretty easy one to reskin other than the fact that they have no elves or goblins Hmm. that don't have a lot of the classic stuff you've got or classical stuff (laughs) Um, so here's a, this is an interesting, I'm not, I don't want to do any, um, name dropping here, Mm. but there's a certain games company that develops, um, things Lovecraftian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, hi, my name's Corey. I work for such and such a company. I'm a big fan of Call of Cthulhu. One of my players suggested the yellow light run to me. It was uh, it was what made him want to play Call of Cthulhu, and I see why. Oh. Great run, guys. Kudos. I'm so enjoying it. Have two more to go, and I see uh, to see where it all ends up. Aside from <laughs> wanting to extend my appreciation to the keepers and players, I was wondering what book Yellow Light is out of. Was it a book, or was it an original scenario? Really loved it. Wanted uh, to keep that one on my arsenal for a possible future run for folks. I checked uh, Secrets of Los Angeles and Ripples of Carcosa books. No dice. I'd be very eager to know what that one was out of. And I replied back, replied back, Yellow Light is an all-original campaign, for those of you who listened to that uh, with Dr. Brad Will running that. Um, and we did do a rather long discussion on one of our Finally Friday episodes around the same time that that ended. I couldn't tell you what episode it was specifically. Um, but Brad and I go into how he came up with the idea, because it was one that he was working on for about a year. He's like, oh, yeah, I would probably do it like this. So if you look up any of the Lovecraft, Cthulhu, Yellow Sign, Finally Friday episodes, more than likely it's got Brad on it, and more than likely we are talking about that. But I had written, and and Corey and I and some other people from this gaming company, uh, hi, Dustin, uh, (laughs) exchanged a bunch of stuff back and forth. And so it's really nice when uh, games companies know who we are and reach out to us. Uh, Wizards of the Coast does the same thing. Uh, We've got, you know, all of our fifth edition books come from them, and uh, some of the games are being sent our way from them. We really appreciate when gaming companies he's taken interest in what we're doing and that kind of goes back into a previous question from early in the episode where it's like well what's the next game system that you're going to do if someone's sending us like dresden files fate accelerated you know that's something that's certainly up there as as a possibility uh, down the line 
Hint, hint. As uh, we get to it. Well, I think that's Brian. Don't don't look at Brian. Brian's looking at me to play that game. So. <laughs> I already did fate. Uh, yeah. I was just hinting to send. Oh, no, we'll, we'll have a bigger discussion on that uh, got a in a while. Loveland Chapeau Company? Yes. <laughs> uh, I think that runs out of... Um, Oh, uh, have you guys ever considered trying a game using the Legend of the Five Rings system? It's based mm. on the trading card game of the same name and uses the 7th C Roll Keep Dice system. Samurai, Spirits, Magic, Politics, and Intrigue it has quickly become my favorite tabletop RPG system. Um, with how many books and options that have been released for it, I'm surprised it hasn't been mentioned on the show before. Hoping to hear back from you. That is Tyler. So, Tyler, now we've mentioned it on the show. I'm familiar with the Legends of the Five Rings um, uh, card, card game. game. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not familiar with the RPG. Uh, I'm not familiar with the RPG, though they did create a setting book uh, using mm. it for 3.5 D&D, which oh, cool. I played, and oh, it was okay. great. And it was great? Okay, yeah. yep. excellent. That's good to know. Kind of weirdly folded into the uh, Oriental Adventures supplement of 3rd edition. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I got like a core book of one of the editions of L5R somewhere, but I never actually sat down and read through it. So I haven't had that experience. <laughs> anyone else? Anyone? I'm yeah, I've, I've never. You've played it at one point, played yeah, it at one point Matthew? Yeah, but I can't really remember anything about it. I played a lot of weird pickup games here and there at the store. Yeah. But I'm almost certain I sat down and played this one. Okay. Rodrigo? Yeah, never, never played it, but I remember uh, seeing the core book around. It's really pretty. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for this uh, mailbag episode. It's been a long time coming. We had a lot of stuff mm. to get through. We always enjoy reading your emails. Podcast at Majorspoilers.com, whether you have uh, something nice to say, whether you have something hateful to say, whether you have a question, an idea, a suggestion, whatever it may be, just send it to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And uh, sometimes I will forward those emails on to other people where it's like, oh, this is something that needs to be addressed really quick. Rodrigo, Brian, can you answer this <laughs> question? Or, you know, Matthew, have you done this? Or, or whatever. Um, other times we'll just uh, if I can reply, I will, but uh, I do read all of them, and uh, when it comes time for a future mailbag, I will um, I will uh, put those aside for that future mailbag. So we will try to get some more of those in uh, going forward. I know we were trying to do at one point uh, them either at the beginning of the show, which I think that ate up a lot of our questions back when we were doing a couple of them at the beginning of the show. <laughs> um, but uh, And then we were trying to do them like once a month, but then that was eating into story time uh so we will get to them when we can probably quarterly i think is probably where we will hit those so um you know podcastmajorspoilers.com hope you enjoyed this mailbag episode uh thank you sam and rodrigo and matthew and brian and rob and to all of you listeners all over the place here is hoping all of your dice rolls are critical hits this podcast is copyright 2017 by major spoilers entertainment llc Like you're there!